Chapter Nine of Bill the Conqueror by P. G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The chase begins. In the heart of the city of London's bustle and din, some fifty yards to the east of Leadenhall Market, there stands a small and dingy place of refreshment, bearing over its door the name of Pirandello. In addition to alluring the public with its rich smell of mixed foods, the restaurant keeps permanently in its window a dish containing a saintly-looking pig's head, flanked by two tomatoes and a discouraged lettuce. There are also cakes of dubious aspect, scattered here and there. Through the glass you can see sad-eyed members of the Borgia family in stained dress suits, busily engaged in keeping up the ancient traditions of the clan. In the narrow doorway of this establishment, about three hours after Pillbeam had left Sir George Pike's office in Tilbury House, Bill West was standing with his young friend Judson Coker. They were looking up and down the street with an air of expectancy. "'You're sure this is the right place?' asked Judson in a voice of melancholy. The jaconda smile of that placid pig had begun to weigh upon his spirits." It's what she said in her telegram. Pirandello's in Leadenhall Street. Very mysterious. The whole thing, said Judson, frowning at the pig. Ah, said Bill, stepping from the doorway. He had observed Flick threading her way through the traffic from the other side of the street. Flick, in marked contrast to Judson, seemed in the highest spirits. She waved cheerily as she eluded a passing van. She sprang onto the pavement with a gay leap. "'So you got my wire. That's splendid. Come in. I'm hungry.' "'You you aren't going to lunch here?' said Judson incredulously. "'Certainly. It's a very good place. Henry recommended it strongly. He always lunches here. He said he would have treated me today, only he's in conference with another man at Blake's Chop House.' "'Henry?' said Bill, perplexed who's henry the office boy where i work bill and judson exchanged a bewildered glance where you work said judson where you work said bill yes that's what i've come to tell you about that's why i wired you to meet me here i've got a job as a stenographer at the london branch of the paradine pulp and paper company what i can't explain till i've had something to eat you idle rich don't realize it, but working gives one an appetite. They followed her dazedly into the restaurant. A warm, sweet-scented blast of air smote them as they entered. Flick sniffed. Smell the cocoa, she said to Judson. Doesn't it tantalize you? She sat down at one of the marble-topped tables. Mr. Cocoa likes coker, she said to Bill. I mean, Mr. Coker likes cocoa. Bill, staring in astonishment at Judson, found the latter eyeing Flick with the reproachful look of one who has been disappointed in a friend. The light-hearted girl appeared unaware of his penetrating gaze. She was busy with a waiter who accepted her order dejectedly and wrote it down on a grubby pad with a non-committal air as if disclaiming all responsibility. There, said Flick, when the lethal provender was on the table and they were alone once more, now we can talk. 
I chose this place because nobody's likely to come in here. Not unless they're dippy, said Judson gloomily, poking cautiously at his plate. Bill, who was less wrapped up in the matter of food than his fastidious friend, was able to turn his mind to the extraordinary statement which Flick had made a moment back. "'You've got a job with Slingsby?' he said, marvelling. "'What on earth for?' "'Because I suspect that sinister man, and I want to keep an eye on him.' "'What is this?' demanded Judson, who had now summoned up courage enough to swallow a mouthful. "'I know it's paraffin, but what have they put in it?' "'I don't understand. When did you get this job?' this morning at about ten o'clock but how i just walked in and said i heard there was a vacancy for a stenographer how did you know there was mr coker told me so last night he spent the afternoon with mr slingsby there must be something awfully attractive about mr coker because mr slingsby simply wouldn't let him go would he eh said judson absently I said, Mr. Slingsby just kept you sitting in his office for hours yesterday, didn't he? I'm off that man for life, said Judson with sombre emphasis. I have no use for him. You see, said Flick, Mr. Coker thinks there's something wrong with him, too. We had a long talk last night, she went on, after you had gone off to write your letter, and we came to the conclusion that Mr. Slingsby is a thoroughly bad man. What on earth made you think that? Flick sipped daintily at the odd, muddy liquid, which the management laughingly described as chocolate. What would you think of a man who's probably got a salary of a thousand pounds a year or so, and runs a Winchester Murphy car, and lives in Bruton Street? why shouldn't he live in bruton street asked bill mystified his knowledge of london was small bruton street berkeley square said flick you have to be pretty rich to live there anyhow you want a good deal more than a thousand a year but slingsby goes in for theatrical ventures he told me so he probably makes a lot out of those well how did he get the money to go in for theatrical ventures it's no use arguing the man is a crook he must be apart from anything else he had a black eye when i called on him this morning a man like that said judson in a hard voice is bound to get a black eye sooner or later i wish i had given it him a black eye what do you mean just what i say now do honest men get black eyes of course they don't and besides anybody could tell that he wasn't straight just by looking at him that man's a scoundrel of the worst and lowest description said judson how do you know said bill never mind said judson darkly i have my reasons he pushed away his plate and nibbled in a disheartened way at a roll Bill turned to Flick again. "'Tell me exactly what happened,' he said. "'All right,' said Flick. "'I lay awake in bed last night for ever so long, thinking over what Mr. Coker had told me. 
about Bruton Street and the car, you know. And the longer I thought, the fishier it looked. And then I remembered that Mr. Coker had also said that when he called at the office yesterday, Mr. Slingsby was in a bad temper because he had just got rid of his stenographer. It occurred to me that if I called early enough in the morning, I might get there before he had sent out to some agency for another. And luckily, I did. I saw Mr. Slingsby, and he engaged me at once. Didn't ask for references or anything. To Bill though he had little knowledge of what was the customary ceremonial that led up to the engaging of stenographers this seemed somewhat unusual surely he felt the proceedings were not always so rapid as that the fact was mr slingsby had happened to be in a frame of mind that morning when his ideal of feminine attractiveness was something differing in every respect from miss prudence striker and Flick's fair slimness, so opposite to the brunette heftiness of that militant lady, had soothed him on the instant. She would have had to be a far less efficient stenographer to fail to secure the post. "'Well, there I was,' said Flick. He told me to start right in, so I started right in. There's a nice old clerk in the office who has been there for years and years.' He was under three other managers before Mr. Slingsby, and it wasn't long before he was talking to me about the terrible state of the business now, as compared with the dear old days. I suppose I encouraged him a little, but he gave me the impression of being the sort of man who would have confided in anyone who was ready to listen. I found out all sorts of things. She purred triumphantly over her chocolate bill in spite of his sturdy belief that this was all nonsense and that the well-meaning girl had started off on the wildest of wild goose chases could not help being interested as he sat there thinking another aspect of the matter struck him but look here he said why are you doing all this going to all this trouble i mean flick looked up with that swift kitten look of hers there was something odd in her expression which puzzled bill why shouldn't i go to a little trouble to help you she said we're pals aren't we there was a silence for the briefest moment bill was conscious of a curious feeling as if the atmosphere had become suddenly charged with something electric there had been a look in flick's eyes as they met his for an instant that perplexed him he felt that he hovered on the brink of some strange revelation. Then the spell was shattered by Judson. "'I want the body,' said Judson, who had seemed plunged in a deep coma for the past few minutes, "'to be sent to my people in New York.' Flick's seriousness vanished as quickly as it had come. She laughed. "'What a fuss you are making!' she said i shan't take you out to lunch again in a hurry the food's perfectly good look how i'm eating mine women are extraordinary said judson refusing to be cheered they must have cast-iron insides don't be indelicate mr coker remember there are gentlemen present i've seen my sister alice wolf with obvious relish said judson 
stuff what would kill a strong man a woman's idea of lunch is tomaine germs washed down with tea and iced lemonade the mention of the absent miss coker had the effect of producing another momentary silence but almost immediately flick hurried on i was telling you about this old clerk she said he seemed to have the worst opinion of mr slingsby as a business man i can't remember all he said but one thing did strike me as curious he told me that almost all the wood pulp is being sold at prices which allow only the smallest profit to mr paradine to a firm named higgins and bennett well said bill well said flick doesn't that seem odd to you only the smallest profit but you don't understand that's just what slingsby was talking about at lunch that day business conditions nonsense said flick decidedly it's fishy and you know it is because he told me something else he said that a letter had come from a firm offering a much higher price than higgins and bennett and that he had particularly noticed that no deal for this had been entered in the contract book showing that for some reason or other mr slingsby had refused the offer what do you think of that it does sound queer i'm glad you admit it sounds very queer to me and i'm going to keep my eyes open and now i think you had better be escorting me back to my office or i shall be getting dismissed on my first day henry tells me three-quarters of an hour is the official time for lunch bill was thoughtful as they walked towards st mary axe a simple-minded young man he found these puzzles uncongenial and suddenly another disturbing thought struck him look here he said is it safe for you to be round these parts aren't you apt to run into somebody you know of course not uncle george never comes into the city i'm as safe here as i am in battersea oh well that's all right i was only wondering they stopped at the entrance of the building on the third floor of which the paradine pulp and paper company had its offices and as they stood there a young man in a vivid check suit came out a small young man with close-set eyes and the scenario of a moustache he was walking rapidly and in so preoccupied a condition that he almost cannoned into flick i beg your pardon he said flick smiled forgivingly and turned to bill good-bye she said good-bye mr coker good-bye said judson you'll be coming to dinner to-night of course flick entered the building and started to climb the stairs the young man in the check suit who had been tying his shoelace straightened himself and followed her he moved cautiously like a leopard this stupendous stroke of luck coming so unexpectedly out of a blue sky had for a moment almost unmanned percy pillbeam he had recognized flick the instant he saw her and that feeling that comes to all of us at times of a mysterious power benevolently guiding our movements flooded over him if he had terminated his interview with mr slingsby two minutes sooner and mr slingsby's attitude and behaviour on being questioned about last night's affray 
had given him every excuse to do so he would have missed the girl as it was everything was working out with the most perfect smoothness though he had recognized her flick he was certain had not recognized him she was entirely unaware that she was being trailed the only thing he had to do was to ascertain where she was going and if she intended to stay there long and then to send word to sir george pike to come and get her warily he tiptoed after her up the stairs they reached the first floor they reached the second they reached the third and pillbeam peering with infinite caution saw the girl pass through the door he had so recently left the window of which bore the legend paradine pulp and paper company it was now necessary only to wait and see if she was paying a brief visit or if she intended to remain pillbeam camped on the stairs and the minutes went by when a reasonable period of time had passed without any sign of flick he hurried downstairs in the doorway he paused and scribbled a note this he gave with a shilling to a passing boy then he stationed himself in the doorway to await sir george's arrival in assuming so complacently that flick had not recognized him percy pillbeam had made a tactical blunder it is true that in the first moment of their meeting he had seemed a stranger but suddenly as she started to mount the stairs her subconscious mind which after the helpful habit of subconscious minds had been working all the time on its own account sounded an alarm vaguely in a nebulous uncertain fashion she began to feel that somewhere at some time she had seen this check-suited young man before but where and when she had just reached the second floor when memory leaped into life as if she had touched a spring it was in roderick's office the day when she had called to take roderick out to tea that ever-to-be-remembered day when all the trouble had started this was the man pillbeam wasn't that his name who assisted roderick in the control of society spice it was lucky that this illumination came to flick with such a startling abruptness for this very abruptness had all the effect of a physical shock it actually jerked her head sideways as if it had been a blow and so it came about that out of the corner of her eye she was enabled to see her pursuer just a moment before he made one of his wary slidings into the shadows on the staircase an instant later and she would have missed him she gave a little gasp of all the unpleasant sensations that can attack us in this world one of the least agreeable is the feeling of being hunted a brief flurry of panic shook flick then pulling herself together she went on up the stairs peril quickens the wit and she had thought of a plan of action the success of this plan depended entirely on whether that other door in mr slingsby's private office a door whose existence she had completely forgotten until her subconscious mind that admirable assistant now presented a picture of it for her inspection led anywhere it might of course be merely the entrance to a cupboard in which case she was trapped 
but hope seemed to whisper that a man of wilfred slingsby's evil mind a man who got black eyes and sold wood pulp cheap to higgins and bennett when he could have disposed of it more advantageously elsewhere would be extremely likely to select for his office a room with a bolt-hole for use in case of emergency she entered the office with a high heart a loud and angry voice proceeding through the door had warned her before she turned the handle that a disturbed atmosphere prevailed within she found mr slingsby in a state of effervescing fury engaged in a passionate passage with henry the office boy one cannot altogether blame wilfred slingsby for his lack of self-control his unfortunate encounter with miss prudence stryker at mario's restaurant overnight had brought him to the office in a mood of extreme edginess and when a good lunch had to some extent pulled him round he had been plunged into the depths once more by the totally unforeseen intrusion of mr percy pillbeam these things upset a man and render an office boy's whistling more than ordinarily disturbing to the nerves the consequence was that henry a dreamy youth who was apt to forget his surroundings when he became absorbed in his work had secretly got half-way through the latest song hit before something that seemed for an instant like a charge of cavalry shot out of the private office and the next moment young master smith henry was one of the smiths of somerstown was being told things about himself which even the companions of his leisure hours and they were a candid and free-speaking band had never thought of saying mr slingsby roused had a large vocabulary and henry was getting nearly all of it the instinct of self-preservation rules us all flick though their acquaintance had been so brief was fond of henry and had her own affairs been less pressing might have attempted to create a diversion as it was she merely welcomed the fact that mr slingsby was busy outside of his private office and walked into that sanctum without a pause and there was the second door beckoning her flick opened this second door and thrilled with exquisite relief it was not a cupboard the door led into a passage the passage in its turn led to a flight of stairs the stairs led into a small dark courtyard full of boxes and barrels and the courtyard after she had threaded her way among these obstacles proved to lead into a street flick reached this street and hurrying down it without a backward look left the employment of the parodine pulp and paper company for ever a matter of half an hour or so after flick's departure a cab stopped at the main entrance of the building and sir george pike sprang out pillbeam leaving his doorway advanced gambling about him like a faithful dog where is she in here demanded sir george a man of few words quite said pillbeam a man of fewer they entered the building pillbeam explaining as they climbed the stairs the events that had led up to this tense situation events which he had neither time nor space to record in his brief note you're sure it was the right girl quite now what in the world mused sir george as they halted outside the door could the fool of a girl be doing here 
pillbeam baffled by the same problem forbore to speculate they went into the office a meek and chastened henry took sir george's card into the inner room where mr slingsby outwardly calm once more but inwardly still a mere volcano scrutinized it captiously who's this dunno sir what's he want dunno sir well show him in blast him said mr slingsby forcefully we have already seen wilfred slingsby considerably persecuted by fate but even in the brief interval which has elapsed since his last appearance another blow had befallen him on top of all the prudence strikers percy pillbeams and whistling henry's that had recently made life so hard to bear he had now discovered that his stenographer had mysteriously disappeared at just the time when he needed her assistance most there were a number of important letters waiting to be dictated and if the plight of a man all dressed up and having no place to go is bad that of one full of dictation with nobody to dictate it to is hardly less enviable small wonder that the world looked black to wilfred's things be the episode of the vanishing stenographer as mr slingsby would have called it if he had been a writer of detective stories had that quality of utter and insane inexplicability which makes a man moan feebly and stick straws in his hair he had with his own eyes seen her come in and now she simply was not the thing got right in amongst wilfred slingsby's nerve centres and just as he was feeling that he could stand no more he saw sailing in in the wake of sir george the loathly figure of young pillbeam it is a curious phenomenon which can be vouched for by any one who has ever boiled an egg that a slight increase of provocation added to a bubbling fury produces a condition strangely resembling calm the water which has hissed and shrieked in the saucepan seems to subside almost phlegmatically when it reaches the boiling point it was so with mr slingsby now the sight of pillbeam seemed to produce in him a kind of frozen inertness with his unblacked eye he looked venomously at his visitors but he did not spring from his chair and bite them in the leg and though his fingers closed for an instant on the large ink-pot on his desk he released it again pillbeam did the honours this is sir george pike of the mammoth publishing company mr slingsby he said do you publish society spice asked mr slingsby in a dull voice among a great number of other papers replied sir george with a touch of pomposity ah said mr slingsby he toyed with the ink-pot once more but again relaxed his grasp pillbeam proceeded briskly to business he had had a word with the elderly clerk in the outer office while waiting and ascertained the reason for flick's presence in this place we have just discovered he said that your stenographer is the daughter of an old friend of sir george's mr slingsby she recently left home amnesia said sir george quite 
said Pillbeam. Indeed, said Wilfred Slingsby, still in the grip of that sinister calm. Sir George glared impressively. He intended to stand no nonsense from this man. Mr. Slingsby's black eye, and the knowledge of how it had been acquired, had made an unfavorable impression. I have come to take her back to her home. Oh, have you? The poor girl is in an unfit state to be wandering about alone. Oh, is she? And so, said Sir George imperiously, I should be obliged, Mr. Slingsby, if you would produce her. Wilfred Slingsby, his mind working with cold swiftness during these exchanges, began now to see his way to getting a bit, a small bit, but nevertheless a bit, of his own back. He forced a winning smile into his bleak face. I should be only too glad to produce her, as you put it, but she is not here. She came in here, exactly, and went away again. She said she had a headache and wanted to go home, so I let her off for the afternoon. But I've been watching the door, and she didn't go out, said Pillbeam keenly. Yes, said Sir George. How do you account for that? You are at liberty, said Mr. Slingsby, to search the premises if you wish. Here are the keys of the safe, and the drawers of this desk are not locked. The waste-paper basket, as you see, is empty. I imagine, he continued, for the solution of the puzzle which had been vexing him had now presented itself, that she went out by that door there, which leads to another exit. By now, I expect, she is well on her way home. What is her address? Seven Paradise Walk, Earlsfield, said Mr. Slingsby promptly. The locality had not been selected by him at random. Paradise Walk, Earlsfield, was, he knew, in a particularly unpleasant part of London, and had, in addition, been quite recently the scene of a rather unusually spectacular murder. Mr. Slingsby was not without a faint hope that the inhabitants if given to that sort of thing and having nothing better on their hands might turn their talent for slaughter in the direction of his visitors thank you said sir george not at all said mr slingsby much obliged said pillbeam don't mention it said mr slingsby the visitors picked up their hats as the door closed behind them there came into mr slingsby's drawn face something almost resembling a smile of happiness End of chapter nine